Hello and welcome to the Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm your host, Dirk Tomza from Latrobe University. Today we are talking about Indonesia's approach to tackling drugs, often described as a war on drugs, since current President Jokowi took office in 2014. Under Jokowi, Indonesia not only resumed executions of convicted drug traffickers, which had been put on hold under the previous president, Susilo Bambang Yudhoyono, for a while, but more recently the country has also experienced a sharp rise in police shootings of alleged drug dealers and users. The number of fatalities may not be on the same scale as in the neighboring Philippines, but Indonesia's war on drugs is certainly causing grave concerns among human rights activists and proponents of a more progressive approach to drugs. So what prompted President Jokowi to escalate Indonesia's already conservative attitudes towards drugs into a war? Has this war achieved its intended results? And what is the future for drug policy in Indonesia? Joining me today to discuss these and other questions is Riki Gunawan, a human rights lawyer and director of LBH Masyarakat, the Community Legal Aid Institute in Jakarta, a human rights organization that provides free legal services for people facing the death penalty or execution. Ricky, welcome to the program. Thank you. Let me start our discussion with a quote from the Indonesian president, Joko Widodo. In July this year, about a week after the Indonesian police had seized a massive shipment of methamphetamine from Taiwan, the president was quoted as saying that Indonesia was I quote, in an extreme emergency situation when it comes to narcotics. And this was not the first time he has used this kind of rhetoric. In fact, he has said very similar things repeatedly since taking office at the end of 2014. Is he right? Is Indonesia facing a drug emergency? As you mentioned that these so-called declarations of the war on drugs from Joko Widodo began when he just took office. So it was started in December 2014. He declared that Indonesia was in a state of drug emergency situation. He justified these so-called drug wars based on the statistics that 40 to 50 people die every day because of drugs. And of course, this statistics is questionable, the methodology. First, it's a prediction. So it's not like an actual result or actual consensus of 40, 50 people die every day because of drugs. There are a lot of errors within the research that produce that statistics. And this statistic has been criticized by prominent public health researchers, both from Indonesia and outside Indonesia. And actually, these criticisms have been published by The Lancet, a leading journal, a medicine journal internationally. So when it, when it comes to drug emergency situations, obviously there is a wrong justifications of drug emergency situation. If we look at the data, at the moment, Indonesian uh, people use drugs, the prevalence is around 2%. Mm -hmm. And that's below the global prevalence, according to UNODC. In 2015, within a range of 15 to 64 years old, the mm -hmm. global prevalence of drug users is around 5.3%. Okay, that's according to the UN. That's according to the UN ODC, global prevalence is at 5.3%, mm. while Indonesia is at 2%. Mm. So relatively, we don't have any problems of emergency when it comes to, for example, if we compare to the UN ODC data. So presumably, Jokowi is wrong in justifying <laughs> the drug wars because mm. of the faulty statistics. Mm, interesting. Um, how has he responded to the criticism from foreign researchers? 
Um, actually, when we publish the criticisms, mm. both in the Lancet as well as in national media, not so many national media picked these issues. Mm. I think mostly because it was just a year, within a year after Joko Widodo was inaugurated as president. So in Indonesia, there was this term of honeymoon period between Indonesia, uh, Joko Widodo as an Indonesian president, and the national media. The national media, they want to quote-unquote secure the presidency of Joko Widodo. They don't want to criticize Joko Widodo that much. And, and of course, this affects how criticisms against Jokowi is picked up by the media. And we try to raise these issues, uh, criticisms, uh, but not so many pick these uh, criticisms. Mm. Okay. So if you say, comparatively speaking, um, by global standards, drug use in Indonesia is actually not that high. Could it be that it has increased significantly in the past? Or do we have any data that suggests that perhaps 10 years ago it was less than 1% and that there has been a massive increase? Is there yeah. any data that suggests anything like that? Unfortunately, this is the irony that we declare war on drugs, but we don't have sophisticated, like a consolidated data that can convince the public in the past 10 years, like as you mentioned, that we have problems of drug use, drug problems. The only report is from the BNN, the National Narcotics Board. But the annual report only includes the performance, like how many cases they've dealt with within a year. So there is no data in terms of drug use, the demographic, the complexity of the problems. There is no information available in that annual report. But from the annual report of the National Narcotics Board, we could see that Indonesia, in terms of drug trafficking, drug offenses, the numbers are increasing every year. The amount of drugs that the BNN have seized is increasing as well every year. And this is the line of the argument that we are building upon. Because Indonesia says we need a tougher approaches to address drug problems. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the data shows that while during that period we are implementing punitive measures, drug offenses continue to increase. Hmm. So where's the logic if we apply punitive measures to reduce the drug offenses, but the statistics shows that the drug crimes are increasing every year. Hmm. Okay, I want to come back to the the effects of the um, policies a bit later, but um, sticking just briefly with the president, with Joko Widodo, and um, as you said, um, it started shortly after he was inaugurated with some statements. Were you surprised by that, or had you seen that coming? Because as far as I remember, during the campaign, he didn't really make that a big issue. If we compare that with neighboring Philippines, for example, where current president uh, Rodrigo Duterte made drugs basically the central pillar of his campaign. And of course, after taking office, he fulfilled many of his promises to the dismay of human rights activists. But how about in Indonesia? Did you see that coming when uh, Widodo became president? Obviously not, because when Jokowi was running as a president, in his campaign platform, a lot of human rights promises that he made as a presidential campaign. And this is, from a perspective of human rights community, that, that was good. Because the other candidate, the rival, was Prabowo Subianto, who had a poor human rights record. But as LBH Masyarakat has been working in terms of in areas of drug policy in the past 10 years, we have seen that drugs have been used as a political tool. So it's an easy tool for any politician to exploit this issue to gain political benefit. But to see that coming from Jokowi, that was quite surprising. Because we thought that Jokowi would be more open-minded, would be more into 
new fresh ideas in terms of addressing social issues but then he was trapped into using these drugs as a political tool for his political benefit and if we look at the time in December to January he had rough first 100 days in his presidency anti-corruption agencies and police were in conflict and Jokowi was under pressure to mediate between KPK the anti-corruption agencies and the police because if Jokowi didn't step down to protect KPK from the police attack, public will see, oh Jokowi, you betray your anti-corruption commitment. And so during that rough days, uh, he needed other tools to show that he was tough on crime while addressing the KPK and police tension. And drugs was a perfect tool for him to exploit this politically and gain the benefit from that. And so he used drugs as a political tool and then he mentioned about the drug emergency situation time and time again and then public attention shifted to the drug problems we had a problems with drugs mm. so people will forget about the KPK and police tension mm. the most publicly visible at least internationally publicly visible policy that he then initiated was that he resumed the executions of mm -hmm. convicted drug traffickers do you think that had the desired effect for Jokowi? Did it help him domestically? Did that have broad support in Indonesia at the time? Yeah, so as I mentioned at the societal level, drugs are seen as evil. So first thing, we have a societal problem that says, oh, we hate drugs. Indonesian people hate drugs. Secondly, Indonesian people generally in favor of the death penalty. So when Jokowi resumed executions specifically for drug offenders, he will gain double benefit because yes according to the public you're doing the right thing you're addressing drug problem mm -hmm. so of course it is beneficial domestically but i think what he didn't know because he was coming from uh, a mayor in a small city in central java and then he became a governor and then he became a president what he didn't understand at the time was probably the international politics mm -hmm. that as a president you need to be aware <laughs> of international diplomacy, international courtesy, and so on and so forth. Hmm. And, it, and he was under pressure from international community, obviously because of resuming the executions. Yeah, the execution did provoke significant international protests, I remember that. And I think there has been a response or a reaction because as far as I know for the last 12 months or a bit longer now, there have been no more executions. So that has not meant that the rhetoric has changed though. And there has been some research into police activities in, re in regards to the war on drugs in Indonesia lately, and it shows that there has apparently been quite a significant increase in um, police shooting alleged drug offenders while pursuing them, while they, so the police claims, while they were resisting arrest and so on. Can you tell us something about the background of this recent spike in police violence? Are officers actually instructed to kill um, drug offenders now? Like in the Philippines they apparently are? So in June 2016, on the occasion of Anti-Drugs Day, in June 2016, the president said, let's kill drug offenders if the law allows it. Fortunately, the law does not allow it. That's his statement. Jokowi's statement. Jokowi's statement in June 2016. Hmm. June 2017, on the same occasions of the Anti-Drugs Day, he said to the public, I order the police do not hesitate to shoot drug dealers if they resist, if they showed signs of escaping from your operations. So there's a shift. Mm. Before, it was kind of reluctantly to 
instruct the police to apply a more harsher uh, operations. But this year, don't hesitate to shoot drug dealers. And so they kind of gave a green light for the police and the BNN, the National Narcotics Board, to do more harsher operations by shooting drug dealers or drug, suspected drug dealers on the street. We see this as a modification in a way that Jokowi could still be seen addressing drug problems without attracting international pressures because the scale would be different if compared to the Philippines. So if international communities say pointing out to Jokowi don't do extrajudicial killings, Jokowi will say why don't you pay attention to the Philippines because they have massive problems. We only have maybe 100 people we shot on that but the Philippines have thousands of people shot on that. So this is a way of uh, Jokowi avoiding international attention because if if he carry out executions obviously international pressures will come again but by doing this he will stay be seen as oh our president is doing the good thing to address drug problems but avoiding international pressures mm, yeah some worrying numbers nevertheless even though it may not be the same scale as in the Philippines is there is there any evidence though that this has worked you mentioned earlier on that um, basically the number of drug-related crimes has consistently increased, if I understood that correctly, despite the hard line that the Indonesian government um, has taken. So this desired effect of deterrence that the government probably is hoping for has not really materialized, is that right? Yes. Just an anecdotal example. Just a few days after the first round of executions in January 2015, there was a big drug bust in Medan where someone was arrested for alleged trafficking 900 grams of shabu. Few days after the second round of executions in April 2015, two major drug dealers were arrested in Medan and Aceh for five kilos of drugs. Few days after the third round of executions in July 2016, the National Narcotics Board arrested Taiwanese a national for smuggling 50 grams of shabu. <laughs> so you could see that within just few days after those executions, there were drug traffickers continue uh, doing the operations. And of course, this police and BNN managed to arrest them. But what this example showed to us that you don't necessarily discourage people in trafficking drugs or dealing with drugs. So obviously, we have problems in terms of deterrence effect. And, and we need more sophisticated data to show to the public that indeed the death penalty does not deter drug trafficking. Yeah, so even though the results are probably not as the government would like them to be, there still seems to be broad support for this hardline policy. So is there any public opposition against this war on drugs? Who, I assume organizations like yours, are speaking out, but who else is speaking out against this increasingly violent approach to tackling drugs? Mainly human rights groups criticizing the approach of this war on drugs. Public at large, they have not criticized the approach that Jokowi is taking, presumably because no innocent individuals has been killed. Unlike in the Philippines, where children have been killed, women have been killed, bystanders have been killed, have been shot by death squads or by police. But in Indonesia, it's quite narrowed into drug suspects. If, for example, 
Indonesian police wrongly shoot a child on the street, maybe public will be outraged. But so far, LBH Masyarakat, we are quite leading in terms of criticizing the approach. When we had the third round of executions in July 2016, LBH Masyarakat was the first entity to announce the names of the list of to be executed because unlike the previous executions where the attorney general office announced the names of those who will be executed in the last year's executions in july 2016 the attorney general office didn't announce who would be executed and because we managed to get in because one of our clients was included in the list we managed to announce to the public the information those who would be killed we have issued press release, we have issued commentaries, analysis in the media, and we also sent our letters to MPs, to BNN, to the National Police, to criticize this uh, method of execution killings against suspected drug dealers. Because first, if the intention is to expose drug trafficking, the syndicate, the most logical one is of course to arrest them alive, and then ask them the information rather than shoot them. So we don't know for sure why they were sh shot on that. Is it because they are police informants who maybe will give wrong information to police or to the public? Or what kind of information? So that's why only human rights groups have continually to oppose this approach of the killings. In your work in defending drug convicts, you are obviously opposing government policy, but also a policy that is um, supported by a large part of the population. So have there been any repercussions for you personally? Have you gotten into trouble with officials for your stance? Has there been pressure on you to uh, withhold commentary, etc.? Uh, so far, we have not received any threats or intimidations. Some of our staff, if they meet with, for example, police or national narcotics board officials sometimes in the sidelines of the meetings they will whisper to you don't go to vocals things like that but not physical or threats or intimidation or attacks to the office well that's at least good how do you explain that there is so much public support for this policy i can see how it is politically beneficial to the elites and they um, know that they can use it because it is politically expedient and because they have support for it. Um, what are the roots of this extremely conservative attitude in Indonesia towards drugs? Well, it, as I mentioned, because we only see drugs one way, that they are evil. Any kind of activities that are committed by the law enforcement apparatus will be seen as doing the a good thing for the public. So media and public will celebrate any time police manage to arrest big drug dealers or the judges uh, sentence them to that. Many media will put that into headlines. And you could see in the comments of those news articles, people will say, oh, good thing, good job, police. So police, judges, prosecutor will get, will get the social incentive or social reward from the public. And it's getting more difficult for us to counter this narrative. There is no honest and open debate in terms of drugs. For example, many media, sometimes they put statistics of mortality because of tobacco or smoking. 
and it's higher than, for example, cannabis. There is no discussions whether cannabis is more dangerous than tobacco. The National Narcotics Board will portray cannabis as evil. People who smoke cannabis will then use methamphetamine. That's the first step of using methamphetamine, smoking weed. Whether this is true, there is no counter-narrative. And people just buy with that narrative. And in including in the media, they only reproduce the narrative that is given by the government officials. Hmm. Is there any kind of non-punitive approach within Indonesia's broader drug policy? Apart from this punitive approach, is there anything in terms of rehabilitation or harm reduction programs? Well, we have um, harm reduction programs in Indonesia. We have, for example, uh, methadone maintenance therapy. And in some prisons, methadones are also provided, but not in all prisons. And methadone are provided in some health clinics, but again, not all community health clinics provide methadone. The procedures and the requirements are different from one health clinic to another health clinic. In one health clinic, the local government, they will subsidize the subscription. So in that area, people who want to subscribe to methadone, they will have for free but through certain procedures. But in other cities, they may get higher fees to get the methadone. That's methadone. We have also buprenorphine program, but that's decreasing now. And buprenorphine is only available in one dependence hospital in Jakarta. So people from outside Jakarta, they have to come to Jakarta if they want to access buprenorphine. And all of these are regulated within the ministry regulations. Unfortunately, the numbers of these facilities are not that high. And in terms of rehabilitations, in 2015, LBH Masyarakat conducted a study to see how many people get rehabilitations. And the result was only 10% got the rehabilitations, while others, they go to prisons. The narcotics law, Indonesian narcotics law, provide that if you are charged with drug use article, you could potentially get rehabilitation. And then we observe the court judgment and we find out that only 10% who got rehabilitations. This explains why Indonesia also have problems with prison populations. We have overcapacity prisons everywhere. Mm. Some prisons even reach 200% overcapacity. And all because of drug offenders, around 70-80% of prison population, they are for drugs. And when you put drug users into prisons, you create more problems. You create the markets within the prisons. So that obviously explains why drug dealers still trafficking from inside prisons because you have the markets inside the prisons. You don't help them getting rehabilitations outside prisons. Mm. And let alone about the sanitations, hygiene, so you get HIV AIDS within prisons, TB within prisons, and let alone again problems of corruptions in the justice systems, in prison departments. If they're dealing drugs from inside prison, of course, some prison guard may protect these individuals. And once they protect, they will get the benefit and it can be they be bribed by the traffickers. Mm. So from this drug problem, drug use problem, there is a domino effect to other social problems within the society. Yeah. 
Is this part of your work as well uh, with LBH Masharakat that you alert the government to the problems in the prison sector, for example? Sounds a bit familiar to problems with the prison sector in relation to terrorism, where often the prisons are also identified as a key part of the problem. I'm asking because um, yeah, I'd like to know from you what you think, what organizations such as yours can do in this current climate to improve the situation? What are you hoping to achieve with your um, activities? Well, we, uh, since 10 years ago, with drug users community, we work closely with them. We provide them with legal and human rights training. So when they got arrested by the police, they could claim their rights when violated. With government officials, we regularly provide them with briefing papers on issues like this. Sometimes they ignore us, as usual, but sometimes they listen to us and they are open to dialogue. There are good individuals within these government agencies, but sometimes these good individuals, they are working under bad superiors <laughs> who generally don't listen to criticisms like this. So it's a long way for us to have a humane drug policy and probably the policy in the death penalty. Indonesia is a big country with the largest Muslim populations, always proud themselves where Islam can compatible with human rights and democracy. That's Indonesia's biggest proud. And I would one day want to see that Indonesia can abolish the death penalty without saying that is not compatible with Islam. Because we have seen in Turkey, for example, a lot of Muslim populations as well in Turkey, and they don't have the death penalty. So it's, it's possible that within a country where you have largest Muslim population, you don't have the death penalty. I hope to see that we could abolish the death penalty and we have more humane drug policy to support drug users to access rehabilitation rather than sentencing them to prison. So that's what you're hoping for. Yeah. How realistic do you think it is, given that there will be an election coming up in 2019 and um, it's unlikely that any of the candidates there will um, run a platform that is inspired by a humane drug policy, right? So I think there are fears that it may get worse that rather than get better. Uh, do you share that view? How do you see drug policy sort of unfolding over the next few years? Yeah, I think we are working uh, small steps both at the drug policy reform and abolition of the death penalty. For example, in the abolition of the death penalty, we don't see that it's possible to abolish the death penalty anytime in the near future. But at least what we could do is to limit or restrict the use of death penalty and executions. What we want to see is also to increase safeguard for people facing the death penalty. For example, there's an ongoing discussions of revising the criminal code and criminal procedure code. In these two ways, we are influencing the government to introduce stricter safeguard mechanism for people facing the death penalty. Because in our experience, many people on death row now they never had proper legal defense when they got arrested. But with the introductions of the new criminal code and criminal procedure code, we hope to see stricter safeguard mechanisms for people potentially facing the death penalty. In the areas of drug policy reform, we continue to document best practices of our drug programs, drug treatment programs in Indonesia. Because there are successful drug treatment programs in Indonesia, and if we could replicate this, we show to the public, we show to the government officials that you could address drug problems without resorting to punitive measures, then that's the way we are heading to. And again, 
many good individuals within the government agencies willing to open to listen to these ideas. Maybe, yes, not in the context of political um, elections in 2019. No one will talk about humane drug policy because that's not beneficial for them. But maybe silently, behind closed doors, lobbying to good government officials, we could achieve these results. Okay, thanks very much Thank for you. those insights. Um, that was Ricky Gunawan from the Community Legal Aid Institute in Jakarta, speaking with Dirk Tomsa on the Talking Indonesia podcast. Please join us again on the 21st of December for the next episode of this podcast. You can find the entire archive of the Talking Indonesia podcast at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog, or you can subscribe via iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thanks for listening and till next time.